it's this grassroots fundraising of making those small donations and sharing those those videos that show that this is something I'm committed to that will then empower us to go and approach brands and it'll get their attention and they'll start to see, oh, look what's going on here. I want to be a part of that. And then even more approach these bigger foundations and government. So let's get started. And uh, Jackie, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, Jackie Bomber. I'm co-founder with Lynn of Horses for Mental Health and the Seen Through Horses campaign. Um, my background started um, as a horse trainer and then got into mental health and studied social work uh, and found myself pulled out of social work uh, when working kind of directly with clients and into fundraising and awareness as a lot of the clients I was working with, there was just not adequate resources uh, to serve those populations and um, found myself doing a lot of advocacy and fundraising and awareness raising campaigns um, for a lot of different causes, uh, everything from gender equality to poverty or polio. Uh, always, always wanted to do a campaign, though, for horses and mental health, because that's kind of where I started. That's my passion. And I was really, really excited to be able to finally make that a reality with Lynn. Wow, that's actually really cool. Um I'll ask how you guys met in a second, but Lynn, why don't you introduce yourself to? Thanks, Gideon. Yeah, I'm Lynn Thomas, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so I'm a mental, mental health professional. And I, my background is working. I work in wilderness therapy type programs. I've just always been a big believer in anything experiential, where you're doing versus just talking, as you learn about yourself and and transform. So. Um, I got involved with horses at a program that I worked at, and that was my first introduction. I mean, I hadn't had a background with horses, and so I got to see the incredible impact that these horses had in a session that I'd not experienced anywhere else. And that's where I was like, wow, this is amazing. And that started me on, that was probably 30, I don't know, something years ago. And that started me on this amazing journey of my life being devoted to horses being incorporated in mental health and of been doing that and training professionals around the world and um, being involved in this sector for, uh, yeah, all this time. And now, like Jackie said, really excited to kind of take the the awareness of this work and the support for these programs to another level. So that's what we're doing with the Scene Through Horses campaign and excited to be here with you, Gideon. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. Thanks both of you for, for joining on. I'm really excited to hear about the Scene uh, Through Horses campaign. And um uh, excited to hear about how you guys ended up meeting and, and kind of getting started with this, because uh, I think what's really interesting is, is the fact that for a lot of us horse people, I think uh, being on on the back of a horse is is a very obvious form of therapy. Um, you know, it's like when you're on the back of the horse, like, I don't know, for me, I'm never thinking about anything else. But, you know, are my feet pointed the right way? Uh, what is, where is my horse going? Am I posting? Am I not posting? These kinds of things are like eventually clear out your mind, right? So um, really intrigued to hear how you guys are messaging that and, and making that available for so many more folks. Um, with that, like, how did, how did you guys get, how did you guys meet? How did, how did both of you uh, end up getting together and thinking, hey, you know what, we, this is what the horse uh, <laughs> mental health combination needs? <laughs> well, I. Um... I met Lynn, my goodness, it was 
a, a good long time ago now. Has it been maybe 15 years? Something like that. Um, so I started as a horse trainer, horse professional, um, actually got into horses because my mom was trying to find, you know, as a young girl, something to help me uh, work through some struggles I was facing and something kind of outside the box. And I'd always loved horses. And so she got me down to a stable mucking out stalls and just changed my life. Like you get in, it was the one time horses riding horses or working with or training horses is the one time in my life where there's nothing else going on in my head. You're just totally present and totally focused. And I know a lot of people experience this with different things, right? Like pianists, I'm sure when they're, when they're playing, that's the only thing going on in their head and professional athletes. But for me, it just came really naturally with horses. So I was a horse trainer. I worked with Arabians on the saddle seat market um, in kind of that circuit, saddle seat circuit, and was young and kind of apprentice trainer to another trainer. And we'd gotten a couple national titles and was really enthusiastic and thought this is this is it this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life but I'd had such a profound experience as a young child um, around mental health and uh, I was really impressed by the way a mental health professional clinical social worker had come into my life and helped me um, and helped my family and so my mom said okay it's great you're going to be a horse trainer but you have to get a college degree like non-negotiable she was the first first generation to get a degree. And she was like, you're not, it's not going to be me. And then it breaks, like <laughs> you're going. And so it was, I, I knew, well, if I'm going to do this, I definitely want to go study mental health and wellness and clinical social work because of what a profound impact, you know, our, my experience had been uh, in that space. So I started studying mental health and clinical social work. And I thought, man, there just has to be a way to marry these two worlds. And, um, you know, it's something that I'm not like, living two lives, one life at the stable, and then a whole separate life as a clinical social worker. Um, and I was really excited to find out that um, that it had already been done. And there were people out there kind of pioneering the space. And so I did tons of research, search, just kind of poured into what's being done and who's kind of trailblazing this and what are the best practices out there and who's really using mental health and wellness as a foundation for guiding what this looks like. Cause it, you know, the more I studied mental health and well-being, I could see how important it is to have a, a strong, clear foundation and uh, from a mental health perspective when incorporating horses into these services. And that led me to Lynn who, who absolutely has, you know, trailblazed the space was the pioneer. And so I signed up for one of her trainings and was just in awe at everything I learned. And um, I've been a groupie ever since. <laughs> <laughs> More than a groupie now, I, I I get the sense that uh being co-founder of, of Horses for Mental Health, you, you've graduated <laughs> the groupie title. <laughs> a groupie with a fancy title. <laughs> Yeah, well, obviously, then there's more to the story after that, because Jackie came to that training. And and then some years later, I don't remember how much longer, but one of our one of the colleagues um, contacted me and said, hey, do you know this person? She lives in Estonia and she (laughs) has these skills uh, that, (laughs) uh, you know, is really, you know, around fundraising and stuff. And I was like, no, I don't know this person. And is Estonia a real country? (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds like a, a made-up Disney country name. Uh, 
But anyway, no, we joke about that. But um, anyway, yeah, so we got reintroduced. And so I feel bad that I was like, I hadn't recalled our training, <laughs> but it's hard to remember every group. It's okay. (laughs) But it was uh, super amazing because I talked to Jackie and I was like, oh my gosh, um, her background and experience with doing this kind of public awareness and fundraising campaigns is phenomenal. And she's actually, she's brilliant, actually. She's brilliant (laughs) and a real visionary. And so that started us on, on this journey to try to do something like this. And it kind of felt like, we were making inroads, but then it'd be block after block. And it wasn't until we decided to co-found Horses for Mental Health, which was just in 2021. And I admit with, with the focus to do these campaigns and really take that level of awareness to that next level. And I, I admit I was still a little bit like, well, you know, if it happens, great, but I'm not sure we've had block after block after block in um, it happening. And so, um, but then within one year, less than a year, all of a sudden, and a campaign happened, it came together. It's been phenomenal. Our first campaign was in October of 2022 for one week. And it was almost like this magical, like how much happened in such a good way and, and how many people came and supported and, and it was more successful than we actually had even imagined for our first one. So we're really excited to turn this into an annual campaign and now doing it in May, which is mental health awareness month. So we mm-hmm. shifted it to May for many different reasons, but uh, it works out great that it's in alignment with where the message about mental health is, is more pronounced anyway. So. Yeah, totally. Um, a little bit of an aside, but Jackie, you're in Estonia now. I am. Yep. Oh, wow. Colin, uh, Colin from Estonia. <laughs> fun, fun fact. Uh, Lynn, this uh, you uh, you wouldn't know this either, but is uh, my brother actually did a um, exchange program through Rotary in Sarama. So, okay. uh, which great. is a little island right off of uh, uh-huh. Estonia's like main mainland, so to speak. Uh, so I actually had the chance to visit when I was he was like sixteen. I was maybe 11, 12, and I, I went, we did the whole thing. It was awesome. I love Estonia. That's fantastic. Yeah. Most people don't even know it exists. I So I grew up in Utah, but my husband's Estonian. He was going to school in Utah. We met there. We never could just settle on one place. We go back and forth a lot. But when I first met him, and he's Estonians, you probably picked up on this, Gideon. They have a very stoic sense of humor. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like, Similar to Finnish, like they'll just, he's so funny. He'll say a joke and he's totally joking with a completely straight face. And you're just like, is he like, is that, was he making fun of me? Um, (laughs) And so when I first met him, I'd kind of, you know, picked up on his sense of humor. And I said, well, where are you from? And he said, Estonia. And the only thing I could think of was um, Brendan Fraser's Encino Man, right? Where the there's these two high school students and they find this caveman frozen in the ice and they unthaw him and take him to high school. And the teacher's like, where's your friend from? And because he came from the stone age. They're like, Estonia. And so I also legitimately thought it was not a real country. That's so <laughs> it's not funny. my proudest moment. And I was like, that's, that's not a country. You're joking. <laughs> and here I live. So that's karma. Um yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it is. It's I'm I'm 
surprised you know about it. I'm glad you know about it. It's a small <laughs> little country in Northern yeah. Europe. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is beautiful. Um, and then to follow in his footsteps to go out to the, the Nordics, I ended up doing a semester exchange in Oslo. Uh, so oh, amazing. Not, not too far, but um, anyway, that's the aside. That's By the way, Estonia, <laughs> small country, lots of impact, you know, a yeah. lot, lot of innovation coming out of Estonia. A um, lot of like uh, startups that Lynn, you mm-hmm. would know too, like Skype, Hotmail, these kinds of places uh, have come out of uh, folks in Estonia. So uh, small country, big impact, but it's true. Uh, we could, <laughs> we could have another podcast <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure my brother would love it, but no, I, I am curious. Um, Lynn, you mentioned when you were kind of giving your bio about your belief in these experiential, uh, mental health services. I'm curious what shaped that, like, why do you have such a strong belief that experiences are better than, or maybe not better, but, um, you know, are a great add to the like talking uh, when, when we think of, of therapy, we think of like sitting with a counselor and stuff like why experiences? Uh, well, I think one experiences can feel more comfortable. Sometimes it can be awkward talking to a stranger and, and sometimes not even culture as culturally appropriate, you could say, right. Or fitting. So I think one is when you're engaging in an activity of some sort, that always is going to kind of help break the ice, you could say, and it feels more comfortable. I mean, it's just like you know, talking with a friend and you're walking down the road together. It's just, it feels better. So, and then the second thing is whenever we experience where we feel and we're doing and moving, I mean, there's a lot of data to support now how, um, you know, mental health is held in our bodies and it's very much as much of physical as it is an emotional and emotions and physical are all connected. So I think anytime that we're actually moving our bodies and doing something, we're going to get more out of the experience and it's going to be more memorable. So people, especially when, with the horses, the horses are just, you know, when you're in front of these or around these big animals, that's just, it stays with people. And so when you're talking about learning something and experiencing something, and then you're still thinking of it many years later, I remember we worked with this um, large corporation and with some of their teams and, and they said they were talking about the one day experience still five years later. So I think the impact both of being in an experience and also being around these amazing large horses or the small ones too, um, just (laughs) has an impact that, that remains with people. Yeah. Why, why do you think horses can create this impact versus, you know, any other animal, you know, cows or even dogs? Like why, why don't dogs have the same feel and vibe as horses? I don't know if that was for me or Lynn, but I'll jump in. Cause I've got an opinion yeah, here. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I think any animal can have a profound impact dogs or cows or, you know, chickens um <laughs> worked uh at uh, i when i was doing my master's program for my thesis i spent some time working in south africa with an incredible program called shubashaba just mentoring under them and it was a farm and there were many animals and many of those animals contributed to the work that was being done on this farm 
But I do think horses are uniquely positioned for this work because of their nature. So a, a couple things. One, they've you know, horses and humans have been evolving alongside each other for a long, long time now. We can absolutely say they've shaped our evolution um, in terms, you know, everything from agriculture to warfare. And so there's a familiarity between us and horses where, as you know, as every horse person knows, it's it's interesting how you kind of are accepted as one of the herd, right? They interact and respond to you. Um, but then at the same time, the other side of that coin, because we're predators and horses are prey animals, that dynamic as well, I think, plays into this really nicely. And that horses are hypervigilant and they're always aware and they're always reading the room and reading the energy and responding. And their response is always honest. It's not a, well, I don't know if I like her, but I don't want her to feel bad. It's <laughs> it's like, no, I, I don't want any of that right now. And I, I don't like what you're doing or something about, and I'm going to respond that way, or I do. They're, they are always giving constant feedback. Um, and then... And then maybe the other thing that I would say alongside, you know, just them being prey animals and us kind of evolving together is, is a little bit of what Lynn said with their size for a lot of people um, who aren't horse people and even people who are horse people, there's something about being in the space, such a large, powerful animal that just creates, it opens the door for vulnerability. And I think the most profound change comes when we are vulnerable. And it's kind of like just that first step into it of being in a space and being present and being vulnerable um, and, and maybe confronting some of the things in your life and directly in the space around you that you're, you're feeling or struggling with. So I do, I think horses are just remarkable for this work and, and we're a dog, you know, oftentimes they're trained, they're so eager to please. I mean, some dogs, right? Huskies, not so much maybe, but (laughs) (laughs) getting well-trained German shepherd or a border collie. And they're just like, what do you want? What do you want next? But horses are just as happy to kind of wander away as they are to wander in. And and it's Mm -hmm. a little bit more authentic of an engagement in that sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the way that you phrase that. There's there's a few components to to the to why horses are so uh, like innately um, partnered, right, with humans. I think I, I love I love how you how you put that. And you know, I, when when you were talking uh, through like the horse characteristics and how they act and stuff, it made me think. Uh, often, I can imagine that a, a horse person stereotype is that you know, they're direct and they, they don't put up with anything. And it's like, oh, well, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's because, you know, someone who spends so much time with an animal that doesn't put up with any BS, uh, you kind of pick up on that. Right. And, and, uh, you kind of fall into that genre. I I love it actually. (laughs) And it's funny how many times, I guess the other thing is they become fantastic spaces they hold fantastic space for projecting whatever it is we're worried worried about and it's been so funny how one of the things that Lynn really helped me learn as a mental health professional is to not assign meaning to anything I'm seeing (laughs) and so when I'd work with clients there's so many times where as a horse person I'd be like oh this is what's happening. And you almost want to explain, this is what the horse is feeling and this is why, and this is what's happening. But, um, and it seems so obvious because 
that's, you know, we work with horses all day and part of staying safe and alive, working with horses is learning how to read their, their communication. Um, but when you, when you wait, when you pause and you don't assign your own, your own feedback or interpretation or understanding of a situation and instead let, let the person you're working with uh, create those definitions. It's amazing how remarkably different it is sometimes. Like, for example, I was working with um, a little girl and there were three horses in the arena and two mares and a gelding. And the gelding was, from my perspective, just being a real annoyance to these mares. <laughs> like they're kind of on their own and he's pushing his way in and they just want nothing to do with him. And he's getting a little aggressive about it too, um, which is which was a funny dynamic anyways, because I wouldn't say he's usually, you know, the gelding's not not always usually the one to pick the fights, but that's what was <laughs> happening here <laughs> with two mares. But that's what was happening. Um, and I checked in with the client uh, when it got a little bit loud, because we're just in a space and, you know, the horses are out in the arena and we're kind of watching them. And, I was, and it was a little girl and I was like, oh, what's going on out here? And I thought it was so obvious that, the scalding was being so annoying and aggressive towards these two mares. Um, but, but when I checked in with her, she was saying, Oh, those mares are being so mean, like <laughs> they're being so mean to the scalding and he just wants to play and he just wants to be accepted and they won't let him in. And they're, you know, they're driving him away. And it was, I mean, really just an opposite situation, but in that framework, it was less about what was actually happening and more about this person's story, this child's story that's now playing out in the arena. And so it's interesting, I guess, to say this this feedback that they're giving real time, as literal and honest as it is, it's always interesting how uh, differently it can be interpreted as well uh, for each person. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it gives you a, a, a an insight into the person you're working with perspective, right? I imagine. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Lynn, were, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just saying, thinking, Jackie, that's another thing about her. Yeah, how they challenge our, they challenge what we think. <laughs> we're uh-huh. so good at that. <laughs> they challenge our perspectives. They challenge our beliefs, which helps us be open to new thoughts and possibilities. And so, and they do it in a way that's really safe. I know it's like they're these big animals. And I love what Jackie was saying about how they really put us in a place of vulnerability. Um, and relationship healing comes through relationships. And so when you're developing a relationship with this animal where you feel very vulnerable and where they are not coming with the same agendas or biases that we humans have on each other, um, it does feel very safe for people. They they report that so many times. And I think that environment of feeling safe is part partly also what brings that healing Mm -hmm. yeah they don't they don't judge you for who you've been right they they judge you for how you are acting with them in the moment kind of thing uh lynn i I had a question if you wouldn't mind elaborating on like what that uh not assign meaning to what you're seeing uh kind of mantra means like yeah i i got curious as to what, what, how, how you use that, um, principle? Yeah. And I think when we're engaging with clients or facilitating these kind this kind of work, I think it's, it's so important that we also create a safe space, right? So the horses naturally can do that, but then we facilitators can maybe get in the way of that. And part of that is to ensure that clients can be who they are and feel safe enough to share that authentically. And so, 
by us sometimes not putting our beliefs or if we are to share a perspective, it's really done in a way that here's offering another idea, but it's just one other idea. It's not truth. It's not Mm -hmm. the right way. It's not the only way. I mean, I think anybody who works with horses will know that sometimes when people say this is the one and only way, right, that maybe that's not always the one and only way. So it's really is about just a way of being and engaging in these sessions, but also I think healthy in the world in general of just being open that there are other possibilities. And I, I love Jackie's story there because she was coming from a place of curiosity. Like, what is your story? Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your beliefs and your perspectives versus we're always coming in, into relationships, trying to put our beliefs and perspectives on others, right? Versus coming into it with, I want to know you. I want to hear you. And of course, that's partly where our Seen Through Horses campaign name came from is because people do feel there's healing that comes when you truly feel seen and heard. And that comes about from a place of non-judgment, a place of people interacting where we're curious and we want to know you. And it's not going to be with so we can correct you and tell you you're wrong or bad or you know anything else. We just want to know you. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I think that's a really cool way of being in the world. So and yeah. that's what horses do with us, right? I mean, they don't, I mean, they'll confront us and say, I don't like what you're doing with this relationship with me, which is totally fine. But they also don't say, and you have to be a certain way. You have to think a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. And actually a great uh, shift. I had one of those questions. It's like, how did the scene through uh, horses campaign name come from? You kind of hit it on, on, you kind of like touched on it, but like, I'm curious to hear from both of you. Uh, how you brainstormed into this idea and name of the yeah. campaign in general, Gideon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is so fun. And I love that we brainstormed our name horses for mental health and the scene through horses campaign and I'll let Jackie share some of that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think Lynn really hit on kind of the essence of it, we had come up with the concept of scene actually, as we were putting together an organization called Arenas for Change, which is more focused on helping professionals learn how to incorporate horses and nature and story into mental wellness. And it's a, it's more of a training program. And um, as we were putting through kind of the tools of what, what are some of these aspects that professionals can use um, to help guide their practice, it, it became an acronym scene actually, which was really fun because then we, we saw all the ways that that acronym played into exactly kind of what Lynn said. There is, I, I, I agree. There's nothing more powerful and more healing than being truly seen, seen for who you are and, and accepted. And, uh, when, and when a person does feel seen and heard, that's, uh, that's when they, are empowered to make the change that they want to make or to accept themselves the way they are. And, and no one does that quite as well as a horse, you know, just in terms of being present and holding that space and seeing you just as you are. Um, so, and then Lynn, I don't know, maybe you want to share a little bit too about seen as an acronym. I don't, I don't know if that's within, we can do so many podcasts on this. <laughs> maybe that's with in the scope, or maybe that's a whole nother podcast too. <laughs> oh, I'd love, I'd love to hear the acronym behind scene. Yeah. Well, it was kind of fun as we were creating arenas for change and we really looked at, well, what is it that, that people really seek? And that really is at a foundation of healing. And we talked about relationships and then we really focused on emotional safety 
And that's what we were saying as I was sharing about where people feel seen and heard. And so when we kind of came up with this framework of helping facilitators how to create that kind of space so that we're really supporting the horse and being able to do their job without kind of almost sabotaging it by us kind of creating that unsafe space. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we came up with the acronym of SCENE and it's really, it's questions that facilitators can ask themselves and it stands for S is sense of self. So there's different questions we ask ourselves as facilitators, like, you know, where am I coming from at this moment? Why am I choosing to do what I'm doing in this moment? And what, what feelings and experiences that bring up for me and that, that we really are in tune with our selves as we're engaging with another, right? And so sense of self is the first one. The next is empowering mindset. How are we asking or engaging in ways that really hold our clients and others up as the authors of the stories? They really are the experts of their lives, right? And so how can we support that and support them and finding those strengths and and being respected for for that they are the expert. And then the next is externalizing story. And we do a lot in arenas for change with working through the concept of story. It's stories heal. When our stories change, we change. And we kind of look at the experience. I mean, right now we're in a podcast. This is the story of the horse people podcast with Gideon, Lynn (laughs) and Jackie, right? And we're having our own story here. So we kind of look at things as stories. And when you do, there's another element of perspectives that you can gain. And then the other uh, N in scene is natural flow. That is facilitators, are we building and bridging on what's happening in the moment? Sometimes it's like, it's hard to feel that you're heard if the person you're talking with suddenly starts talking about something completely not anything related to what you were just talking about, right? So um, we learn and can do things that ensure that we're really being present in the moment, just like horses are and building off moment to moment um, instead of thinking about the past and oh, I wish I would have said this or thinking about the future or or what am I going to (laughs) say? Like truly being present. And that's part of the um, element of flow, right? So where sessions are organic and natural. So that, that's kind of the, the acronym of scene when we're talking about arenas for change. And it just kind of made sense as we carried that over into horses for mental health, which is a nonprofit organization with a different focus and arenas for change, but still involved in, awareness around horses and mental health. And so we just thought, gosh, that is what horses do for people. They, like Jackie was saying, they hold that space. People feel they can be authentic and they feel seen. And that can be scary for some people, actually. Um, We have some clients that like, I don't want to be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is part of the healing process of being able to allow our true selves to come out and know that and get to know ourselves and in new ways and healthy ways. Yeah. Wow. No, that, that's amazing. What a, what a great story and, and a wonderful acronym to just kind of keep in your back pocket, right? Like it's something that you can, you can, those, those four values, uh, I'll call them is, is really something you can take with you and apply to everyday life, not just, not just when you're in the arena with horses, right. Which I think is really powerful. Um, I'm curious, uh, you've mentioned arenas for change. You mentioned horses for mental health. Um, I'm curious how, like how you, how you see horses for mental health fit into the, the landscape of not only, um, mental health in, in general, but also like where it lands in the, in the equine world as well. I think there's definitely a, a, a growing, it's definitely growing, at least from the outside looking in, it feels that way. Uh, 
but but yeah, I'll, I'll turn it over to, to to the both of you. Like, what do you think, Jackie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Horses for Mental Health. Our hope is for it to be a resource to the industry, um, specifically to programs who are incorporating horses into mental health. Um, and so there are a couple parts to that. Um, but a big piece of that is what this Seen Through Horses campaign is addressing, which is raising awareness and raising funds and doing it through what we call a convener campaign, where we are convening many different players within the sector to come and kind of espouse the same message at the same time, like a choir director. Um, because we've learned that uh, if you can, if you can kind of coordinate that effort, it, it truly is that rising tide lifts all boats and we become more than, you know, the the whole is more than just the sum of its parts. Um, and so, and that's where kind of my experience had been after I first met Lynn, I was, I was so young. <laughs> I was, um, just in college doing my undergraduate and, and trying to marry these two worlds. And then after this initial training, I had gone and started working um, with a, a population victims of human trafficking, actually, as a social worker. And this was longer ago than I'd like to admit. So at the time, there was, there was really no awareness of this as an issue within the U.S. There was no funding. There were no resources. And so I found myself kind of being pulled out of doing the direct work, like day-to-day working with and helping people to spend just a lot of time and energy on, well, how are we going to raise some money we need to help these people? And how are we going to raise awareness and change policy? Because there's, you know, there are government policies in place that are really not helpful. And there's a lack of awareness that's, that, you know, if that doesn't change, the government policies will never change. So I was pulled out of this kind of micro work and into a more macro level of work. And in that case, we, um, we ended up, I found my uh, soon-to-be business partner. <laughs> she was putting on a concert to raise awareness for this issue. And I thought, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll help her do that. So I called her up and I'm like, hey, I see what you're doing. I think this is fantastic. We really need more awareness. How can I help? And we worked together to put on this first concert. It was small. It was in Utah with neon trees. Actually, actually, it was an absolute failure too. We lost so much money. <laughs> it was really stressful because um, we had this, you know, great idea that just didn't. We were learning, and it didn't go very well. Um, it was successful in that we were able to get all the nonprofits in the space to come together and work together. We just didn't raise the money we thought we would. But ultimately, it was it was interesting because a person that we met while. Uh, putting on the campaign, she introduced a friend of hers who was Sumner Redstone, uh, the chairman of Viacom. Um, so basically he owned Hollywood. Um, and he he made a huge donation afterwards when when we were vulnerable. And, and uh, my partner, Lindsay, she was like, oh my gosh, that was another failure. And she was sharing with this woman we had met. And she's like, well, I think I know somebody who might be able to help. And he made a million dollar donation, which was <laughs> amazing um, for this small little charity. And then after that, it kind of just snowballed. Um, someone, Lindsay, Lindsay moved to Australia. That's where her husband's from. We were both in Utah. I moved to Estonia. So we were on the other side of the world and kind of thought, well, that's, you know, that was fun. <laughs> I guess we'll see what's next. But a group reached out to her and said, hey, we heard that from a mutual acquaintance that you know how to put on concerts for charities. Will you help out? Um, and 
And uh, we've got a great idea. And the idea was totally, you know, to their credit, they said, we don't want to charge because we were like, yeah, we do. It just, you know, just so you know, it didn't raise very much money. And they said, no, we've got a different idea. Instead of charging for tickets, what we'll do is we'll ask people to sign our petition, which is, you know, this was in Australia. And that year, the Commonwealth heads were convening there for Chungam in Perth, Australia. And we're going to ask the leaders of these countries that are convening to increase their foreign aid commitment to polio eradication. So people sign the pledge, they're entered for a chance to win a ticket to the concert. Then we take that pledge, you know, and all those signatures to these leaders. And so Lindsay called me up and said, Jackie, do you want to help with this? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I was I was trying my hand at being just a stay-at-home mom and it wasn't going very well. Um, so <laughs> I was like, yes, please. Um, and it turned out to be just wildly successful. Actually, um, $110 million was committed to polio eradication. And it was directly attributed to these signatures, this little concert we had John Legend headlined. And then that snowballed into a much bigger, you know, uh, the next year we did the Global Citizen Festival in New York. And same concept, people taking actions to earn tickets and big world leaders. It was held during the United Nations General Assembly. And world leaders would convene and uh, make their commitments on stage and big brands. And, and in order to, in order to make this work, we had to go and get all of these charities that had never really worked together in this way, in this space mm -hmm. to agree to work together. Um, and that's where this convening concept came as we went, because, you know, at, at that point, you know, the organization had a couple thousand followers in Australia and, and we were really audacious. It was, let's put on a $7 million concert in New York. No brand's going to be like, and, you know, sure, 4,000 followers. That's totally, that'll fit my marketing strategy. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so, so we got all these other organizations to come together and basically the proposition to them was uh, you can come on stage and this is, for you. And this is about the work you're doing because it fits our broader mission, this umbrella mission of ending extreme poverty. So, you know, Charity Water and Pencils of Promise and UNICEF, you're all working to end extreme poverty. You can come on stage and share your programs and the actions people take to win tickets can be your actions. And so we were able to get all these groups to come together, which helped us sell the sponsorship because now our reach wasn't a couple thousand. It was, you know, millions and millions and get celebrities on board. And it was just incredible to be a part of this team is the most talented, just wildly intelligent, talented team um, put on these first couple of years of Global Citizen. And then Lindsay and I partnered on an agency where we just went and did this. Um, and, it, and it just kind of snowballed and had a lot of fun working with family foundations and celebrities and big groups like the UN or, or Vatican and uh, learning and learning, like how do we get everyone to play together, play nicely in the sandbox when they're not used to it? Because in the nonprofit world, it's pretty tricky. Um, everyone's competing for pretty scarce resources, right? Mm -hmm. And there's really, I, I actually feel like having a little bit of experience now on both sides of business and non and the nonprofit, it's more competitive and in, in many ways more difficult to succeed in the nonprofit world than it is the traditional business world because you've got a lot of handicaps, right? In the business world, 
your goal is to grow and you can invest in the things that will help you grow. You can invest in marketing, you can invest in overhead, you can invest in talent. In the nonprofit world, your goal is also to grow, but you're not allowed to invest in marketing or overhead or talent, even, even if it's going to make the pie bigger, even if you're like, well, look, if we operate on this budget, our pie is a hundred thousand a year. But if we invest whatever 40% in overhead, our pie could be a million dollars a year but 40% is going to overhead. Well, you're still making more. You're still doing, you know, now even, even if 50% is going to overhead, 500,000 overhead, you still got 500,000. That's 400,000 more than if you kept it really small. But it's hard for the nonprofit world to understand that for a million reasons. I'll try to stop and not go too, too far, but it creates this very competitive environment. And it's oftentimes very difficult to get nonprofits to work together for limited resources. So a lot of the practice over the years was how do we help people understand the value of working together? How do we help them leverage what they have, the value they can bring to the table to kind of, again, fit the puzzle pieces together so we can then go get brands to sponsor or go get governments to get involved or to change policy? Um, And how can we kind of facilitate this, this concert, right? Choir, get everyone singing together at the same time. So I spent about 10 years. So I met Lynn, did the training, got pulled into this other world, spent 10 years there, and then was exhausted um, and thought, wait a minute, I thought I wanted to be a horse person. And I thought I wanted to do like mental health. And this is like 10 years of campaigning is exhausting. So I decided to like settle down a little bit and do kind of part-time of each and reached back out to Lynn and her organization to get caught up on my certifications. Um, and then we started, I couldn't help myself because here I was like, okay, now I'm just going to go back to direct services. But as soon as I, as soon as I started talking to Lynn, I was like, well, but have you ever done this? And if we tried this, we could fundraise more. And next thing you know, <laughs> back on the campaign trail. <laughs> So, um, it's funny a how long answer. <laughs> it's it's funny how the the world brings you back to what you're good at, right? No matter how many times you try to uh, escape it, um, <laughs> it's true. That's that's a that's an awesome story and like really great. Uh, I, I, to, to be fair, I totally understand where Lynn's coming from now, right? Like, wow, Jackie, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You've done, you've I've done had a, some you've amazing experiences, and I've learned from some incredible people, and it's been really fun to apply that learning into this space because this is where you know it all started. Yeah, and it sounds like you're you're translating your your last decade of experience into um, advocating for something that I think you're in the. So I just let, let me let me take a step back and 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 tell you where I'm coming from because I just listened to a maybe it was a podcast I don't know I listened to a bunch of stuff and one of the things that they say is it's really hard to be in the top one percent of one thing right think mm-hmm. of, if you're the top one percent of the NBA or in basketball, you're in the NBA, right? Kind of thing. And it's like really hard to mm-hmm. get in the NBA. Same with the NFL. If you're in the 1% of football players you're in the NFL, and it's really hard to get there. What's a little bit more achievable is being in the top 10% of two things. And that puts you in the top 1% of both, right? Because now you're in, there's like a, like a pyramid there. At least mm-hmm. this is the way that they were explaining it. And uh-huh. it sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong, you're in the top 10% for sure in, uh, fundraising and running these campaigns and also in the top 10% of horses as a horse trainer. <laughs> and so I almost feel like you're a, 
you're you're combining these two tr- strengths and and putting them all together, making making really uh, humongous waves in in the horses for mental health um, uh, campaign and and also world, right? Like I, I I love how you're bringing both of your expertise together into one and marrying them as as you were trying to do back in college now uh, um, with with experience. That's really generous. (laughs) That's very generous. It's funny how timing plays into it, right? Like um, back in college, looking to marry these things and was so enthusiastic and went and got my training, but, you know, from Lynn, but I, the time wasn't right. Life had a different plan, kind of funneled you in a different direction. And then, and then like Lynn mentioned, when we first, when we first started talking about this campaign, it was 2015 or 16, I think. And uh, we, and I, and I was saying like, Hey, let's do something like this in the horse sector. But the timing just wasn't quite right. We kept hitting these blocks and, you know, a lot of these, a lot of, there's a lot of politics and campaigns like this. And it's just, you have to have the right pieces lining up and, and it just, you know, we, the the pieces weren't lining up. And, uh, and then yeah, when it, when the timing was finally right, (laughs) we put together horses for mental health. It was amazing how quickly then all the pieces, you know, it just seems like there, there does seem to be a real flow to life. And sometimes it just feels like you're swimming upstream, but if you can just trust the process and go with the current, um, it's it's amazing how much easier life is <laughs> how when it's the right time it comes together and it's it's not quite like pushing the barrel the boulder up the hill right I feel like we had a couple of years of just like pushing this boulder up the hill and then now we're on the other side and we're just watching it kind of grow and gain momentum and and I do I think it's going to gain a lot of momentum it's not you know we, we, we haven't raised $110 million. Um, <laughs> like the campaign hasn't, or, you know, gotten a billion media impressions. Um, it's, it's definitely more niche of a, a concept incorporating horses into mental health than big main, mainstream broad topics like global poverty. And, um, but it's really neat to see because of all the campaigns I have worked on, one thing I will say when this one came together um, it seems to be the most authentic. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've we've been incredibly fortunate to work alongside and work with some incredible celebrities, I've, m- me and the teams I've worked with over the years. And some celebrities are incredible and just really on board and, and, and supportive. For example, Global Citizen, Hugh Jackman came on early and he's, he's just been an incredible support and, and really dedicated to the cause. But a lot of celebrities, um, it's more like they're publicists than anything else. It's more like, hey, send me the tweet, it'll go out. It's not, you know, it's not as much engagement in the cause as it is like this is on the checklist of things to do. Um, when reaching out to different influencers and celebrities in this space, it's been so fun to see the level of authentic engagement. Like people mm-hmm. just saying, absolutely, horses changed my life. Horses saved my life. I want to be a part of sharing that story. And then also with the nonprofits, um, where, like I shared, it's sometimes really difficult to get people to work together. And I credit a lot of this to Lynn, actually, and all the work she's done in the space and all the trust and rapport and relationships she's built. Uh, we didn't see any of that in this. When when the time finally came to go and, you know, rally in all the different organizations that are doing this work, 
it was basically, oh, Lynn's at the helm, we're in, you know, like count count us in. It was incredible. And so, and I think that was, you know, a lot Lynn and the work and relationship she's built, but also there's just, just something really neat about this space and the players in it. Maybe, maybe it's the horses keeping us grounded and down to earth a little bit because everyone just was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> well, how do we help each other? And, and really understood the value of of creating that rising tide. So, uh, and because of that, I am really confident that this is just going to grow and grow and grow. And and hopefully someday we'll be at the Kentucky Derby and we'll be at the <laughs> Olympics and we'll, <laughs> we'll you know, have yeah. be, I'm really excited to see where it goes. No, I, I totally agree. I think there's a huge potential uh, for bringing folks together into this space and, and, uh, learning more about it and learning how to uh, get involved and learning how, um, cause I think, I think what happens and I, maybe it's, it's happened to me and I'm projecting, but I think what happens is that as a horse person growing up, you don't quite realize it doesn't click that, Oh, when you're writing, you're not thinking of anything else. Mm-hmm. That's a form of meditation and you are in therapy. Like it doesn't, it didn't click for me until I kind of like heard it put together from, from Lynn and Lynn in our last podcast. Like I was like, Oh wow, you're so right. Everything leading up to this, everything that has every, every time that I get on a horse, every time that I like just walk into the ranch and I get the smell, you know, the, the big old whiff of horse crap that we all love is uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't, you don't realize it until someone says it and you're like, Oh wow. Like actually this is a good point when I'm frustrated, I go out and ride. When I, when I feel down, I go out and ride. And like, why is that? Right. It's like, Oh, maybe it's because it has a profound effect on my mental health and like how I choose to deal with issues. Right. Like, I think that's, that was a really uh, important click. And I think people are starting to click now and it's because of, because of your effort, right. It's because of folks like you and folks like um, both of you is when the general you, uh, that are that are advocating for for everyone and, and advocating for the horses too. So I love it. I'm a huge huge fan. Um, I want to check in because we are at the time that we uh, allotted for this. Do you guys have maybe five ten minutes to just round it out? Yeah. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. Nice. Um, okay. So how much? Let's. So I have like a few more tactical, like straightforward questions, and then we can kind of round out and um, and um, and, and the podcast and, and get you guys back on, on whatever you're doing today. So, um, like how much money are you hoping to, to raise with this campaign? Is that like a public number? I don't know if that's allowed to say or not, but. Yeah. I mean, our first goal was 35,000 and we're at 32 already. So we need to increase that. <laughs> it's time to raise the goal. Um, I think last year we raised just over 60,000, which was really neat. Um, and I hope we'll, we'll do more than that this year. Mm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see us double that. And then of course mm-hmm. each year snowball with that. I was just thinking as you guys were talking to, you know, that, you know, people who are engaged with horses and run, you know, businesses with horses, um, it's, it's hard. It's a struggle. Right. And you know, that joke of, you know, how do you make a million dollars in the horse business, you know, start with $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we really do want this to be more accessible to more people and how can we support that? And so, yeah, finding different funding sources, getting the word out there about the value of these services and, 
it is making such a difference in communities. There is so many, there are so many struggles with mental health, crime, addictions. I mean, and these programs are having an impact. And so I think the more we can get the word out there about that to support these different approaches that there's more than one way, there's lots of different options and let's support these programs that are doing so much with so little. And let's make, <laughs> I love what you're saying, Jackie, too, about if, if all of your time is focused on just trying to get, just trying to survive, like then you're not able to provide the services to the capacity that can, and the potential that they can be provided. So we're hoping that this campaign and the incredible celebrities, influencers that are also helping get out the word, but we can all do that. Everyone in the horse industry, if you love horses, like let's get out the word that this is a great niche and a great way for horses to impact our communities without it being like, you have to own a horse. No, you don't need to own a horse. I think sometimes people get tired of their horse friends talking about their horse stories. <laughs> and so this is a way to say, this is not about, you need to become a horse person that you even need to love horses. You don't need to become a horse owner. This is a way to help our communities become stronger, more healthy in their wellness and well-being with their mental health. And just this is a way to do that. And let's support that in happening and, and give and donate. That would be amazing. So even if it's just a little bit like these convening campaigns, when people do $10 and there's thousands doing that, it makes a huge difference. So can't wait to see what we do this year. We are doing it for the whole month of May, Mental Health Awareness Month. Last year, we did it for one week. So we're going to see what happens when we expand it and um, getting the word out there. So, Yeah. And so how, how do people get involved? So to get involved, people can go to our website, horsesformentalhealth.org, and they can join the campaign, find a charity that resonates with them, maybe one in their nearby area. Um, and either donate directly to that charity or even better, build a team, set a fundraising goal and ask your friends and family to help you reach that goal by donating to that charity. Another way that people can get involved is when they go to the website, click on stories and you'll see incredible stories of transformation. Um, stories from our celebrity supporters, Randy Travis and uh, Jill Rappaport and just a handful of really incredible individuals and influencers, as well as just stories of transformation from, you know, everyone from veterans to families to individuals and, and their stories of how horses have transformed their life. And I will say, in terms of our fundraising goals, um, we're really taking our strategy is both bottom up and top down, right? So this is our bottom up grassroots effort to go and raise, you know, beat our, you know, double our goal of last year, you know, our achievement of last year of 65,000. And those numbers really help and really make a difference um, in, in the direct day-to-day -day services of these programs. But what they also do is they help us show the industry that people care about this and people are spending their time, their energy, uh, and emotionally buying into this. And what that does is it helps us take a top-down approach, right? So if we can, we're, we were really, really fortunate to have Zoetis come on last year and, and say, yeah, we see the vision of this, even though it's never been done before in this industry. And even though this is the first year, 
we see the vision and we're going to come and sponsor you. Um, so they sponsored us the first year and the second year. Um, and what we want to do now is show as this grows the level of engagement and involvement, the number of people that are sharing these videos, the number of influencers or celebrities that get involved and show, hey, this is something we'll put our voice behind. This is something we'll share through our social media channels. That helps us build a case to go to other brands and say, hey, why don't you follow Zoetis's example and help sponsor this campaign as well? And what that does is it can help us get more funds directly to the programs, but it can also help us launch, uh, again, in that top-down effort, broader advocacy efforts where we can get funding commitments from government organizations and major family foundations, which is where you get those really life-changing numbers, right? Like we tried to, we did a concert <laughs> to raise money uh, by selling tickets, that grassroots approach, and uh, we lost money overall. I mean, we raised you know a couple hundred thousand, but the expenses it was totally lost. And again, we took that other approach where we said, okay, how can we get foundations and governments involved um, and do that top-down approach? And it, in that case, for polio eradication, that was 110 million. So it's just night and day difference, and it's this grassroots fundraising of making those small donations and sharing those those videos that show that this is something I'm committed to that will then empower us to go and approach brands and it'll get their attention and they'll start to see, oh, look what's going on here. I want to be a part of that. And then even more approach these bigger foundations and governments. So I would say at any level, somebody can get involved, even if it's sharing this podcast, even, even if they don't even make it to our website, but they share the podcast. Um, or, you know, go onto the website and even if they just share a story and, and write, you know, this is something I care about. And then, of course, best of all, as it makes such a huge difference and for these organizations, if they could sign up and make a team and set a fundraising goal. I mean, there's a lot of ways that that uh, an individual can make a really big difference in the space and be a part of this momentum that we're seeing build um, year after year. Yeah. Um, Lynn, I think you mentioned uh, when we spoke last that maybe it costs 250 bucks to put on like a one hour program. Is that around the, the cost? Oh, uh, for sessions. Yeah. I mean, it's going to depend on the program um, that, yeah, but you know, with horses, you've got the expenses of the horses. You usually have one, two more facilitators, some volunteers, you have all of that plus running a business so, um, yeah, I mean, it might be around $250 that, uh, you know, to do a one hour session might start paying all yeah. those costs to provide these amazing services that change lives. And so any way that we can kind of help spread the value of this and that word. And like Jackie said, just um, even a little bit when we're doing it together, it makes it a lot, a lot bigger. So we're excited for continued um, support from people in the equestrian center, uh, sector, people in the mental health sector. And then through that brands and government institutions, like then they'll get behind it when they see how loud we are and how many of us are engaging and th think that this is an important thing. Totally. Totally. Couldn't agree more. I'm happy to be a vessel for your message. Uh, I hope that, uh, folks get to when, when they get to this point, if they get to this, uh, to this point that they end up donating or at least sharing the podcast or sharing the campaign to their friends and family, there's, um, lots of really good videos on there. We didn't even get to chat through Miss Pat and the, we write Two video, which I thought was super impactful. 
um, that I'll, I'll link in the show notes and stuff in case anybody's interested, but, um, there are so many like avenues that you, that someone can help here that I think is, can be, can be really great. And I, and you're right. Like, I think the, the value of the donation, $10 here, $20 there is beyond the, the monetary value, right? It's, it's the, it's the action of, of donating and putting your name down and saying, Hey, like I'm here for this. And then being able to take that and show it to the corporations who, who might bring in hundred X the amount that you donate. Right. So I uh, love it. I love the idea. I love the strategy. And if, uh, yeah, and hopefully, hopefully I'm able to, to help through, through uh, this unfiltered kind of conversation, which I think uh, might, might add some value to the, to the story. So uh, with that, thank you both so, so much for, for joining. I really appreciate your time and, and uh, your, your stories and everything you guys are doing for the, for the equine community and, and horse people and, and even the folks who aren't, I'll call them the, uh, they, they, they don't know yet that they're a horse person, right? There's a lot of folks out there that, <laughs> that, uh, that need it and don't know that they are one. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Gideon. Really appreciate your advocacy and helping us spread the word. Thanks. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Gideon. Yeah.